Hey guys, welcome to What's the Pitch, where my co-host and I are going to be talking everything Dragon's Den and business pitches alike. My name's Pamela. And I'm her co-host. Hi, I'm Maya. Hey guys, welcome to What's the Pitch, and this is episode 8. We have just finished watching Dragon's Den on BBC One, and we're excited, or maybe not, um, (laughs) to talk about what happened in this episode. (laughs) Uh, it was it was a little bit slow this episode and probably the first episode this season that was like super slow and I didn't feel excited. I remember when we talked about episode two, which you might have noticed was quite a short episode from my own niece. Yeah, we were, I, I was still excited at that stage because it was like still brand new. But now that we're into episode eight, I kind of felt like we've been having so many good episodes in the past few weeks. I feel like we were kind of spoiled really. And tonight's was just a bit, uh, I don't know how you felt about it, Mayo. Yeah, the pitches, the pitches were, I think more will come out as we discuss it. The pitches were compared to the rest of the season, not a bit dry. Of the highest quality, I would say. Yeah, a bit dry. <laughs> yeah, a little bit dry. Um, but yeah, so let's, if you've not watched the episode, then there may be some spoilers ahead. But otherwise, I'll let Mayo tell us what we're talking about today. Yeah, so today we had a moonshine business taking us back to Prohibition-era America. We had a cruelty-free watch company, a dog-friendly booking platform, and a refillable deodorant. Yes, and let's jump straight in. The Moonshine Company. So the name of the company was Moonshine. and O'Donnell's Moonshine, right? Oh, was it? I think so. Oh, maybe. Then that's what was on the package. Well, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you what. When the entrepreneur introduced himself, I didn't actually hear what the brand name was when he mentioned it. I just couldn't quite hear it. I don't know whether I've got a problem with my ears, you know. Um, but I just couldn't hear what he said. And then eventually, the, he talked about moonshine. So I was like, oh, I did hear. I think I did hear moonshine when he talks about the brand name. So maybe that's what it's called. But if it's called O'Donnell Moonshine, okay, great, even better. He was. Was he German? Because the yes, parent he, he company was, was yes. German, but he is also German. Okay. So, I mean, the first thing that I wrote in my notebook was another drink, because I talked about this last week, and I feel like we're going to be talking about it every single week. There is always a drink pitch on Dragon's Den. And I was just like, when will it stop? Now, this season hits, this episode hits some of the uh, the themes for this season, right? It hit oh, yes. drinks, it hits. <laughs> pets it hits sustainability yeah yeah i think those those three themes have been quite strong on most if not every episode and tech platform that's that's been those are the four key themes that we've been seeing throughout very very consistently throughout the whole of this season and probably will do for the final like i think there's another like six episodes coming or whatever yeah, so that was the first thing I said. It was this this pitch was not particularly well thought out, I think. The guy was asking for two hundred thousand pounds, which orig- which already was a large amount of money. So I was thinking, okay, this must be really, really good because he was asking for two hundred thousand pounds for five percent. And I was thinking, that's a pretty big valuation. So I was like, oh, maybe it's already, you know, like a fairly established brand. Maybe, you know, they're doing really, really well. And it's like something that's great in the marketplace. I mean, to be fair, the actual product, 
I mean, I don't drink, so I don't know what the product, and obviously we, we can't taste the product through the TV or anything, but we can see aesthetically how it looks. And I thought the packaging was really, really great. So it was these drinks that were in like mason jars, and I love a mason jar. And the mason jar, you could have like a little spout to it. So you could just drink straight from the mason jar, which I thought was pretty cool. And the labeling of the brand on the jar was pretty decent. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't overcrowded. The font was pretty good. The branding was clear. There wasn't too much information on the label. So I kind of thought it looks pretty good. I I think the dragon said it tasted okay. So, or it tasted really, really good. So it was all going pretty well I think to begin with just in terms of looking at the product itself but then we started to go a bit downhill as soon as we started talking about the numbers and so that that was quite an interesting bit and then we went further downhill when we actually got into the business structure and and what the actual business is like and and then and then I just lost interest yeah I think and that's when the dragons lost interest as well yeah I mean yeah the product seemed good the product moonshine which is yeah this type of alcohol that they brewed in America during the prohibition era because you could like brew it in your house um and it's very very strong it's like 25 percent so it's not quite like straight vodka or tequila or something but it's still very very strong but it did taste nice according to the dragons and you could have it neat peter took a big swig (laughs) before asking how strong it was and he kind of looked like he regretted that but (laughs) he did like the taste the bottle looked really nice as you said with a mason jar with the spout it looked cool the entrepreneur said it was a very giftable product they usually do most of their turnover in the second half of the year with christmas and it being sold at Christmas markets, etc. But yeah, the numbers, there were two big flaws with this company. It's heavily, heavily in debt. So they had a £50,000 COVID loan. The, the UK company owed the parent company 230000 And then they had over 500000 of like unpaid inventory. So there was a lot of debt in this UK company. And that's the thing. It was just the UK company. I think this is a classic Dragon's Den mistake where you have a successful company in another country and then they come on Dragon's Den offering just the UK subsidiary of that company. And so the parent company in Germany is doing like 7 million in revenue a year, over 2 million in net profit. It's doing really, really well, but that's not the company they're offering on Dragon's Den. The company they're offering on Dragon's Den is new. It's at the moment kind of mostly making a loss. And the Dragons are always going to want like part of the successful company because it's like you're asking them to take a risk on this new company and develop the new company in the UK when you don't want to give up a part of the company that's already established. And at the valuation, it didn't make any sense. It, did, it didn't make any sense because he, he came in with a four million pound valuation. When your company has almost like close to a million pounds worth of debt, first of all, so knock off a million immediately, right? <laughs> so then it's three million. And even at three million, the turnover that they had, I mean, the turnover was okay, right? The turnover was like... Uh, 1.8 million back in 2018 then 1.38 million in 2019 
only 993,000 in 2020. And then somehow they were expecting 2.5 million in this year coming. And in the first six months, they'd only done 500,000. So that didn't make sense to me either. Although the guy did kind of counter that and say, you know, 60 to 70% of our revenue does come in the second half of the year. Okay, fair enough. Maybe I would take that. That's that's a really strong maybe though. The problem is you cannot value your company based on what the parent company is doing and how successful the parent company is doing, right? I, I just don't think that works. And just because it's working well in one country doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work well in this country. So what you really need to do is value the company based on performance of the company and the market that you're actually going for. And they just didn't do that. Or this guy just didn't do that. So it didn't make any sense to me. And he only owned 5%, I think he said, right? So the rest of the 95% was owned by the parent company or or the Germans that were part of the parent company. And they were actually the ones that were going to be giving away their equity. But it just, I just didn't quite understand how he felt like it was a justifiable valuation. And also... I didn't understand what he wanted that £200,000 for, really, because he talked about, you know, I think it was like marketing because he, he, he'd he been doing a little bit of that, but, but there hadn't been enough of it. It's not going to get you particularly far, I don't feel, especially if you're only going after the UK market. Stephen made a very, very good point about him and whether or not he was going to invest, where he said if he was to do a post on this, it's not just reaching UK customers like potentially it would reach people in indonesia thailand usa so then he's ending up doing a promotion for not just the uk and therefore he feels like his his investment wouldn't get a good return and i and i feel like i would completely understand that because why are we if we're only just targeting the uk market and you're only doing uk marketing i'm not sure how the target market would work and and how like a particular dragon would invest in just this area when it, it just it just made no sense to me the, the thing is that the businesses with a structure like this never do well on dragon step and i don't know why they keep coming on because they they don't tend to want to invest in subsidiaries like localized subsidiaries yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And as you're saying, when the dragons do marketing and you know, if someone like if you get someone like Steve on board and he's marketing to people all over the world, that's growing the brand of the parent company more than just the UK company. Okay, he'll profit off any sales made in the UK, but the German parent company is also getting a benefit of that when he doesn't own any of that company. So it's really questionable how much value you're getting when you just have the UK market. And once it's big in the UK, and that still benefits the German company. So the Dragons are are always going to want a share of the whole company. Like you said, he only has 5%, the entrepreneur who was in the den. And they were saying that his 5% wouldn't get diluted if they made a deal. All the equity he gave to the Dragons would come out of the German parent company's ownership. But yeah, the 200000 for marketing. I think Mark, I think you'll get some value out of that just because it is a very giftable product and it looks very nice and it probably will do quite well on social media. But you, yeah, it's still an unproven market in the UK it's a heavily indebted business and and that's the thing the 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 German owners 
have put a lot of debt into this company. And so you're asking a dragon not only to invest, but to take on debt from the parent company. That doesn't seem right at all either. And, you know, the other thing is Deborah questioned the motivation of the entrepreneur, you know, saying that if things get rough because it's not proven in the UK, how motivated is he going to be when he only has 5% of the company rather than being a majority shareholder? So it's, it's not like the holding company went in with him 50-50. He's, he's basically a salesman, basically an agent with a small stake in the company for people who aren't even there. Yeah. It was just a very not well thought through business idea. I, I Well, actually, no. Okay, so we can't say that because, because the business idea itself is actually a very reputable one in Germany, right? It's just not particularly well thought out for global expansion. And... I kind of felt like even just with 5% of the UK like company or, or like the UK part of this company, like that really isn't enough. I, I did feel Deborah's point. Like I just felt like 5% wasn't that much. I, f- I feel like, you know, like Tuka when he says he doesn't even get out of bed in the morning for 2%. <laughs> I kind of felt a bit like that. I If, if problems are escalating which they are because you've got a considerable amount of debt on your hands unless the parent company is gonna fully be able to bail you out like you're gonna have to put in so much hard work to try and get out of that position and I just personally don't feel like it's particularly worth it but then I'm not passionate about drinks so it it might literally just be that that's not my thing and therefore I wouldn't be motivated to do it if it is his thing maybe he would feel motivated to do it yeah but I mean the thing is that it's hard to kind of when you look at the relationship they've got with the parent company the money that the parent company seems to have given them is mostly debt they said that there's been 25,000 pounds he said there was 25,000 pounds invested into this company but then the parent company has given them a loan of seemingly of 230k so if you do run into any speed bumps and you're going to go to the parent company as the majority shareholder for more money, then it seems like they're going to put this subsidiary into even more debt. And that's, and that's the thing. When you're asking for external investors, they should have invested in the company, not kind of laden it down with debt and then tried to bring an investor on. So that doesn't, it, it didn't, the offering didn't make much sense at all. It was kind of like, they want to go into UK market, see what happens. And they kind of want to do it with somebody else's money, not with their own. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly what it kind of felt like. And so lo and behold, none of the dragons invested. And I think that was a pretty good call. I th- I, I mean, we almost got a little bit of investment maybe from Sarah because she was really, really excited about the product. She said it looked great. Everything was really cool. That was her word. There was a little glimmer of hope. I felt that was quite that was quite sad. Like giving him a little bit of hope and then take it away. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's the right it's the right choice because get her as cool as the product is, the structure of the business makes it very hard to invest and see yeah. a really good return. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then moving on. So this was a cruelty-free watch and accessory business called Votch. Um so it's like yeah, vegan watch, watch. watch the watch company. Watch. 
Yeah, Watch the Watch Company, exactly. So it's it's, a, it's basically a sustainable brand, right? It's vegan, it's animal cruelty free. And she was looking for £100,000 for 10% equity. And these were basically like taking a simple quartz watch. So it wasn't particularly fancy. It's not like a smartwatch or anything, but putting on straps that were vegan so made from I, I think one of the things that it was made from was like apple leather that was there was also like pineapple something to do from pineapple I don't actually I can't actually remember off the top of my head exactly what it was but it was a very emotional pitch I think to start with because the entrepreneur kind of took us on her journey where she had previously suffered from um, a really rare disease which you know gave her a lot of time to watch documentaries and learn about what happens to animals and so she then vowed to herself that she would never basically use anything that is like animal skin um so animal leather and that's why she then began her journey to create these vegan um watch straps and and other vegan accessories so we'll go into product um expansion in a bit it was a pretty decent like I think it was a pretty decent um what's the word that I'm thinking growth for the for, for the business so in 2018 she had talked about um having 163,000 turnover in 2019 it was 136,000 turnover and then in 2020 184,000 turnover and I thought for a single entrepreneur in this space like that's a pretty decent like start right it's very small she hasn't really put in loads of work she doesn't have like a massive team behind her or anything so it's quite a small business and she was making profit at the end of the day not loads of profit but still profit which I think is you know commendable but then they talked about growth in the future and her numbers suddenly jumped from like 184k to 1.7 million turnover and then again I got lost because I just I just genuinely don't understand how these entrepreneurs go from like 100,000 to suddenly spike at like over like almost 10 times the amount of what they're actually able to evidence and every time an entrepreneur comes on to Dragon's Den and does the pitches and and starts going through these numbers and then suddenly there's like some massive massive finger in the air guesstimation of what the future numbers are going to be like they always come out with these arbitrary numbers I'm just like how are you getting there like on the very very rare occasion and I mean it's super super rare like a 0.01% chance that somebody will come in and there is actually a specific reason for that growth and they can really really demonstrate and argue their case for that growth but most of them that come on that suddenly have like some massive 10 times or 20 times or you know in in stupid cases like 50 times what what their current evidential revenue is um so that was yeah that was quite interesting I mean don't get me wrong the product looked really really great and and the dragons did agree that they agreed that the product looked really slick it was very well packaged you know the watch itself wasn't particularly you know unique in any way it was just a very very simple watch but yeah so they kind of said they commended the entrepreneur for her pitch and 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 her story and everything but then I think the numbers kind of started to throw them yeah I mean the thing is they liked they liked the strap Peter liked the strap yeah it was sort of vegan leather alternatives yeah something made from 
a byproduct of harvesting pineapples and and yeah it, it looked it looked good then I think even before the numbers I think things started to go a bit downhill when they asked you know what is special about the watches not just the straps because she wasn't it was a watch company it wasn't just a company that sold straps that you could put onto other watches but the watches were just fairly standard quartz watches that kind of looked like any other watch that you kind of see on social media that people are trying to sell to you and so when they were asking her kind of what is unique what is special about your product because they were saying there are okay apple watches come with plastic straps that don't look very nice but then there are a lot of kind of vegan leather alternative watch straps out there so she couldn't really articulate why her brand why her product was special enough to stand out and so you have that she's then saying that her turnover in like three years time is going to jump to 1.7 million and she's kind of saying it will do this because she's now got more time to put into the business and she's really going to focus on growing it but it's like what what that is not that alone is not going to be the catalyst like what is going to make this grow now a good answer could have been other products but when she talked about the other products it wasn't impressive you know she had a bag and the margins on the bag were not very good they they came in landed at uh, 40 pounds and she sold them at 135 compared to the watches which came in at 15 pounds and were sold at 120 so she, apparently she kind of made the bags because people were who liked the brand were asking for them to expand the product range but the product didn't really work in financial terms so she admitted that was a mistake to go down that line uh, but you see you've got a mistake on the product front you've got a watch product that is nice but doesn't really stand out and then you're saying you're gonna get this massive growth yeah it doesn't add up i was just thinking like you know what is to stop a massive company like apple to create their own straps which they will sell because they create their own cases right and they create a number of their own accessories. So what would be stopping them from creating a vegan strap, which they can probably put a premium price charge on because that's what they do for everything. And, you know, and then they'll sell it and then she'll lose her market share. I, I, I don't feel like she's got a massive market anyway, to be fair. She's a very, very small business. I don't really see the potential for massive accelerated growth because I don't feel like there's a good strategy behind it at the moment. So, I mean, the only thing that I could think of was, you know, completely good luck to you. And it's great what you're doing. It's clearly something that you're passionate about, but there is a lot of work behind the scenes that she needs to do in terms of making sure that this is her sole focus making sure that she understands what it is that she wants to do and where she wants to take it. I kind of felt like she was a little bit wishy-washy. And part of that was as soon as she mentioned, you know, she hasn't put the dedicated time to it. And I can understand, like, obviously she was having the problem that she was having with her skin disease and everything else previously. But I mean, her skin looked great (laughs) when she was presenting. And yeah, I kind of just felt like she needed a good period of time of focus so that she can dedicate as much time as she can to figuring out what is the strategy behind the business? Where does she want to take it? What does she want to do? Is it extending the product line? And it's fine to make mistakes, right? You're you're quite early on. You're going to make mistakes. 
but it's what are you going to learn from those mistakes and how is that then going to propel your you and your business in the future yeah i mean i think i think it's a crowded market in what she's doing because vegan leather yeah she doesn't have a monopoly on that can she partner with a watchmaker to make her watches a bit more unique stand out have a bit of craftsmanship or some it, it just didn't really seem to have a usp so even if she spends more time it just feels like okay it's kind of a cool name watch and the the brand looks all right but it didn't really seem to have enough to really you know stand out in a way that's going to generate that big growth so i think until she can actually figure out what is the real usp i know it's the you know it's free from animal cruelty but there's a there's a lot of companies doing similar things and like you're saying there's nothing to stop a you know apple or or one of the big like swiss watchmakers or you know any of any of the big watchmakers who still deal in leather straps just kind of switching to vegan leather or having a vegan leather range yeah i just don't think she really has a a usp which is what this business is going to need to succeed yeah so again no investment from any of the dragons on this business and um yeah at this point i was like oh okay two pitches down no investments made so far is this potentially going to be an episode with no investments and so i was like okay well let's see what happens and this is when they then cut to another little montage of like previous old pitches that had um, included dogs because obviously the next pitch was around dogs or pets and um, they like doing these little montages now don't they it seems to be like a new format that they've got within this season yeah and this this one had a dog riding a horse which seemed to kind of get Deborah all of Deborah's money she was just like ready to invest straight away immediately yeah so that's <laughs> maybe that's what the the next entrepreneur should have come in with, with a dog and a horse yeah, that would have been to that would give have her been pitch straight. a little boost, you know. Yeah. Um. So this next pitch was from an Italian lady called Nadia. She's a dog owner, um, of a dog called Lola, and the dog was pretty cute. To be fair, like I, I'm starting to have my heartstrings tugged whenever I see some dogs as well. Now they're really, really cute. Yeah, but before before she before she even came in though, before she even came in, the whole setup kind of got Stephen and Peter planning their own little business oh yes it did yeah Stephen yes. wanted to call it dinnerdog.com and I thought that was know, pretty good Peter, Peter Peter talked about doggy date doggydate.com I think so they were they were they were already planning on going 50 50 in on a on a dog kind of <laughs> matching business a dog business yeah well, yeah um yeah but then I think the business they came up with maybe in their heads was a little bit better than what actually walked into the den. Indeed. Um, first of all, the name. So the name of this business was called Waggot. Now I'm assuming it's talking about a dog's tail wagging. That's where she got the name from. I didn't really understand the name Waggot because yeah, it rhymes with the dog a wags number of tail. yes, but it rhymes. It rhymes with a number of words that aren't particularly nice. So I kind of feel like it's not a great name. I personally wouldn't like that name particularly very much, but um, I'm not a dog owner, so I'm definitely not the target market for this. 
But Wagat is basically an online platform where you are able to find and book any dog-friendly restaurants or bars or pubs or groomers. So the lady was saying, you know, she found it very, very difficult to find places where it was pet friendly and you could take your dog with you to the restaurant, etc. And you'd probably have to like ring up to ask whether it was dog friendly. And if even if they said they were, when you go to the restaurant or, or go to wherever the venue is, the likelihood is that you'll probably be seated somewhere that's, you know, near the back or asked to be seated outside even in the rain so that's not particularly great so she wanted to build a platform which she did and it was uh, basically being able to search through your local area or, or an area that you wanted to find what are the places that offer a pet friendly service and then be able to book through the, her platform to you know reserve a table or whatever it was and I thought it was a pretty good idea like I genuinely thought it was a good idea. I mean, I see, especially when you go to pubs out in the country and stuff now, there are always dogs around. Like, you know, you're going for a long walk, you're going for a long country walk or stroll at the weekend and you want to have a pub lunch. And so you'll take your dog with you and there'll be like dog bowls for like water and stuff so that they can have it. And then you just have like loads of dogs sitting down right by you so that you can enjoy your meal. So I, I can definitely see that there is potential for this to be you know something but um and 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 the woman had pretty good credentials she had previously worked for open table so open table if you don't know is is a pretty big platform for booking restaurants so she was in sales when she was working there she was also previously working for somewhere else which was similar to oh what was it book a table or something or book table book a table yeah which is now owned by TripAdvisor yeah so you know she's got some pretty pretty decent credentials I would say and and that was something that Peter picked up on as well because it's quite impressive so clearly she's got an understanding of this type of business or so we thought she was asked she was asking for 50,000 pounds for 5.5 percent equity yeah yeah I mean the thing is okay so the the first thing I wrote down in my notes was is this a feature or a product and this kind of came up which is that she mentioned that open table doesn't have like a checkbox for dogs or like yeah if you want to find dog friendly places the thing the dragons brought up is that yeah but they could add that you know how hard would it be for them to add it if her business starts gaining traction or it looks like it could gain traction so is this a whole new product or is it just going to get crushed when one of the big established booking websites just adds like friend, you know, dog friendly as a search filter? Yeah. And then when you when you looked at the site, like the the execution just seemed all wrong. So you don't so have clunky. to use it was clunky, but it's also like you don't have to register to to use the service so it's a search engine and and so you're not capturing like the user data like where like a particular user wants to go you're getting generic data but you know that's that's one thing especially because she was saying that unlike um 
unlike open table, which is transactional, someone books a table and open table makes some money. She wants to be more marketing focused. So to not have you to not have user accounts like be mandatory and then to be marketing focused didn't make much sense. Her solution was that to have a loyalty program. And so that was going to encourage people to sign up. But if it if people want to use the service, you could just make them sign up. And if it's a good enough service, they'll do it. So that didn't make much sense. The way she was onboarding restaurants made no sense because you know, open table and all these all these other kind of reservation services are free and then you just pay for the business that it brings you her solution was instead to make every restaurant that comes on the platform pay a monthly fee starting at 10 pounds a month and you know Stephen brought up the fact that this is a massive barrier you have to then sell to all these restaurants because when you set up an open table it's like you at least know if it doesn't bring you any business you're not going to have to pay them any money. So if you start even £10 a month, you start thinking, well, is this worth it? Because if I don't get a booking in like five months, I'm paying for nothing. So she needs, it's going to take, and it's going to take so long to get restaurant owners and pub owners and groomers to, to even, you know, make that decision. The fact that it's not free to just sign up. So she only had 39 restaurants signed up in the whole country. And that's going to make it really hard to get users because there's no venues on the platform. You have to get the venues on the platform for people to want to use the platform. So yeah, the way she was going about getting data, getting users, getting restaurants on board and bars and groomers, none of it really made sense. Yeah. And then she was talking about how she was signing up restaurants maybe five to six a week if you imagine the number of restaurants in the whole of the uk like five to six a week is so slow i think it was peter that was talking about you know he was hoping that she already had a few thousand restaurants and would be growing at a few hundred a week you know it's it's very very rapid growth that's requ- required in terms of the number of restaurants on the platform and Stephen was right you know it's a complete barrier and i think the dragons generally were also right because now that she's pitched this if there is demand for it someone like open table could clearly just have a feature where they have a tick box where restaurants could tick whether they're pet friendly or whatever and then it just shows up and you can filter on restaurants that are pet friendly and you know that open table has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of restaurants available and then you just filter it and you'll you'll book one of the ones that have that filter and so then she's got no business. The only part that then maybe she might have is the grooming service part because that's obviously specific for dogs. But then I'm thinking, why wouldn't I just Google? I could just literally, I mean, I don't know. I don't own a dog, but I'm assuming Google has the answer for everything. So I'll just be like, yeah rumors in my area and then you know click on something that's got a pretty good you know review and then just book like I wouldn't have to use this platform and from from the business side like why would I feel like I need to pay 10 pounds a month to advertise my dog grooming service on your platform when I could pay for google seo I don't need to pay this extra which isn't going to bring me any business yeah I mean like just off the top of it I don't know it it almost felt like she's trying to create a solution for all the things a dog owner might want to do. And maybe instead of focusing on booking, maybe that's what she should have focused on. Maybe like 
a calendar for dog owners, like a calendar app that you put in all kind of appointments, things you want, where you want to go to dog friendly places or you want to plan when you're going to the groomer, when you're going to buy pet food or whatever. And then kind of linking with other companies to say like we will like advertise restaurants we will advertise uh groomers we will advertise pet toys and pet companies and stuff like that just making it maybe more social and you know more yeah more useful than necessarily being about booking because i just think the booking on its own is is definitely just a feature so yeah I, i think the way she was going about it doesn't it's great that like how far she's got but I just don't think it works as its own business like her 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 biggest hope would be to like get bought by one of these like big companies but for that to happen well she would have to onboard lots of users and lots of like onboard lots of restaurants or at least like collect if she collected all the data of so her app knew every dog-friendly restaurant in the UK or in you know multiple cities it was almost like a city mapper for dogs right it can just tell you where every dog friendly place is where which cab companies are the most dog friendly where are all the groomers like it's just a dog like map (laughs) kind of thing or you know map calendar all in one and then the data becomes valuable and maybe like a company will buy just so that they can then plug all that data into their system. But she she didn't doesn't have enough data. She doesn't have enough of anything to make it really, really valuable. And she's moving so slowly that she will the easily other thing, get overtaken. A hundred percent. And the other thing that was obviously quite clear, and this theme has come up a couple of times now, I think, you know, she's building a technical platform here, but she has no in-house technical expertise so again there's no cto within the business you know she's working with a product manager that's helping her and obviously she also has some knowledge in this kind of type of business i I was a little bit disappointed you know because obviously at the beginning the credentials that she had were clearly something that was of interest to the dragons and you would think that her expertise in these areas would have really helped her think about okay what is the best way for this platform to grow I kind of felt like she missed a few tricks and she just didn't hadn't really thought about this properly and and yeah clearly without in-house technical expertise like investors are going to ask you that question they're going to want somebody with technical expertise to be answering some of their technical questions and so she definitely missed a trick if you're going into dragon's den with a tech business find someone who knows code please find someone who understands systems and system architecture and can be your CTO. This is my because, please. <laughs> well because like the amount of people who are just showing up with like outsourced contractors or yeah they just they're 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 getting their development done by an agency okay but you're not gonna get investment because yeah they want to see that you have those expertise in your team to grow you your tech someone, business and you need someone really passionate about tech to be able to grow a tech business like you got okay it's great to outsource Absolutely. right you it, it is great to outsource if you want to but they could then potentially lift and shift that to someone else you know because it's an agency they could they could 100% just kind of like change it slightly and lift and shift it to somebody else that's got a very similar idea to you so then you've got nothing unique about your business 
So the whole point is if you're building a technical business, you need to have your, you know, your technical USP pretty much, right? And that is going to come from whoever the expert is going to be within your business that does the code that actually develops it that can understand what's the architecture that can understand how they'll how you would scale the tech business and that's got to be at the heart of what you do and I just kind of felt like she didn't have that the thing is when you're using contractors scale what if you're going to actually scale the business to the point where it's profitable it's going to get so expensive if your developers are external or contracted in and if you then start hiring developers, you need someone at management level who understands code and understands how to build these products on a technical level, or you're just going to be in real trouble. You're not going to be able to hire, know how to hire the developers you need. And if you then ask for the code base, because it's getting too expensive to have an external company maintain it, you're not going to really know how it works. So you're just going to, you're just setting yourself up for so many problems. I think, you know, there is financial risk there, right? Because if you do buy the code base and you don't understand how it works, and then you ask, you bring in somebody that's got technical experience and and has technical expertise. They look through that. They might have a completely different way in terms of what your future business strategy is going to want to be. They, They might have a completely different way of saying, you know, the code shouldn't have been built like this in terms of, you know, scaling it to the way that we want to. The architecture should look like this. And therefore, you're then going to have to rewrite all of that code. So you would have wasted all of this money on the external coding and getting the agency to do it because you needed kind of like a, you know, prototype or, or whatever it is that you've sort of made into a bit of a business. But then at the point of, you know, at the point where you feel like you're going to accelerate and actually grow the business properly and you bring in the right people, you're then having to start again because that's what you, you should have done to begin with. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a risk. You that, And I, I mean, I've worked on projects where I've come in and had to look at a code, an existing code base and it can just be it can just be a nightmare. So, you know, sometimes you have to start again or sometimes like it can just take ages to figure out how to add on to it because of the way it was done. And yeah, as you said, if you are outsourcing it, you're not, you don't have anyone in the company with the skills to kind of be overseeing how it's getting built and to spot anything that could be a problem later on. So yeah, you just have to have that expertise in your team. And so many entrepreneurs, I suppose they think, I just got to get the product out there. They just don't see the importance of that. But how many times are they going to be told they need that expertise in their team before they, people stop coming on the den without a technical co-founder? Yep. And oh, I was literally just like, oh dear, three pitches down. There's only going to be one pitch left. Is there going to be any investment within this episode whatsoever? And so we move swiftly into the final pitch. And this was a very interesting pitch because it was a product that I've been looking into um, and I hadn't heard of this brand. So that was what was interesting. So this business, it was called Fussy and it's basically a sustainable, uh, it's a sustainable product of deodorant. 
So being able to have refillable deodorant, which I've been looking into for a little while because I'm still currently, unfortunately, using spray deodorant, which I know isn't best for the environment. But I'm going to finish what I have so I don't waste the money that I spent on it. And then I'm actually going to be looking into potentially getting these refillable deodorants, which I've been seeing. And there's been a lot of ads for them on my Instagram. But the only ads that I've seen must be their competitor right because they talked about there being one competitor and so I was like I haven't seen any marketing or any tailored ads from this brand Fussy who you know seem to feel like they are one of the big players within the market so it was two entrepreneurs it was Eddie and Matt and they were asking for £50,000 for 1.5% of their business so they were valuing their business at around three million or just over three million pounds and it's a subscription-based company so you're looking at refillable deodorants that you can slot into your overall deodorant can and it looked great aesthetically it looked nice I liked the colors it was very like pastel colors the branding was good the name was good you know they're talking about they're being fussy about the planet and and wanting to do things better so you know, that's that's how they came up with the name. And I thought it was I thought it ended up being pretty good. It was a pretty good brand. And the dragons liked it. You know, there was interesting comments from all of the dragons talking about, you know, this is definitely the right thing to be doing. And, you know, it's back on that theme of sustainability, which we've seen throughout the season. Anything that's to do with sustainability, I'm always like, it's going to be Deborah, surely. Um, because she is the person that's got those credentials and, and this is right in her portfolio. So I did think it would probably be her, but there are a number of questions that the dragons were asking. Yeah, I mean, so... Yeah, they what they did really well was they had their sustainability credentials down. You know, we 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 talked about like the sustainable packaging pitch on a previous podcast where they just did not know the answers to the questions about how sustainable their product actually was. This was refillable deodorant. When you finish it, um, the refill is compostable you're on a subscription so then you get your new one in the post and their mission was you know this was the start to kind of remove single-use plastics from the bathroom some some issues with that because they when they are were asked you know what their next products were they were they talked about a wash bag and like a container for the deodorant so it wasn't massively impressive but I think I think they'll get there but that didn't impress Sarah yeah, but when Deborah asked them questions about their packaging, the packaging was recycled, the glue was eco-friendly, the print on the packaging was eco-friendly. So, you know, the, the deodorant was all natural. It had a probiotic in it, which was odor neutralizing. So they really had their green credentials, their sustainability credentials down. And so they were very impressive with, with, in that regard. Tuka kind of was thinking... I, you know, Tuka kind of said that it wasn't that special. He felt he could create it himself for about 100000 If he went away, like, the next day, he could have his own version of the brand. Stephen disagreed because he liked, he said the product design was really good, the name, the branding, all of that was really, really good, and you couldn't just easily 
replicate that because the way they've positioned themselves is really good. But yeah, Stephen didn't want to invest because he just thought it would cost too much to acquire customers. You know, the numbers, they were talking about good revenue, but losing money. So they talked about making a million with a gross profit of 455k, but losing 273,000 because they want to aggressively grow in year one. They want to spend a lot on marketing and a lot on acquiring customers. But they they think that their customers like the product. They've had about 4,000 um, people refer their friends. So there were some, there were some, you know, good signs for the business. Just thought it was strange though, because you know we talked about the investment into marketing and everything. I've not seen any tailored ads. All of my ads in my social media are to do with like sustainable, like beauty products or sustainable bathroom products. I'm getting a lot of those, and I have not seen this brand once. It has not come up on any of my feeds. I have seen its direct competitor and I've been looking at its direct competitor's product for a very, very long time and I don't see the difference. So I'm like, why wouldn't I just go with this one? This is the one that's constantly coming up on my feed. So where is their investment? That's where I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, clearly the money's not being well spent. It's not, it's not, it's not getting in front of me and I am their target customer. I haven't looked up their like social platforms so I don't know how I don't know how many kind of followers they have or like yeah what kind of reach because I think with with that's the thing with like personalized advertising sometimes you just because it's not reaching you doesn't mean it's not reaching a lot of people but yeah I know what you mean you if you've been looking for it or something similar it's surprising that you haven't been targeted if they had these such aggressive um yeah such such aggressive kind of marketing plans they've got just under they've just got under 18,000 followers on Instagram which is not amazing yeah I, I I don't know if that will grow now that they've had the episode yeah like you said is there anything to differentiate them from their competitors as such <laughs> I don't know. And that's that's where the, their whole thing about being this brand to get rid of single-use plastic in the bathroom could have been really good if they were like, oh, but we're going to be the brand that, you know, we're not just going to be the deodorant brand. We're going to be the brand for refillable, you know, shampoo, refillable shower gel, refillable toothpaste, yeah, refillable everything. Which I think if they did have that, Sarah would have invested. Because that I is think, definitely what she was looking for. I think Sarah, yeah, Sarah would have made an offer. If they if they had laid out a roadmap in, in a few years' time in their office, they're gonna have this like bathroom that is the ideal bathroom with where nothing is single-use plastic. And yeah. their roadmap is like how we get from where we are to that ideal bathroom. Sarah would have made a def, definitely have made an offer. Yeah. But unfortunately, they didn't. So Sarah was out and she didn't invest. And so was Tuka and so was Stephen. So then that left Deborah and Peter and Deborah loved it. You know, she she loved the fact that when she questioned them on their credentials, they had the answer for everything, because usually she will catch out entrepreneurs. There will be something that is amiss. 
but these guys had everything everything down to the glue on the packaging everything down to the font on the packaging like everything was a tick in her book so she did make them an offer and I was like okay good there's gonna be one offer at least in this episode somebody's gonna hopefully walk away with some money let's 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 see so she decided to offer all of the money but she wanted six percent of the business so she was asking for four times the amount that they were asking for and I thought that was a pretty decent offer and then Peter was also excited about this product and so he offered all of the money but he undercut Deborah and he said all of the money for 5% which was very surprising for Peter because I felt like Peter this season so far has been pretty brutal and quite mean with some of his offers so you know to come in and undercut Deborah by 1% I was like oh Peter no Peter doesn't undercut unless he knows he's behind in the negotiation like he knows the reason he's undercut is he knows that when it's a sustainability product it's gonna like, be Deborah's. it's gonna be Deborah. so that he so he's trying to get in there by saying look I'm offering you a better deal that's why yep. you picked me and and that's where he was kind of like and I don't want to share I thought that was so funny <laughs> yeah that was so so funny I'm doing this just by myself a hundred percent I'm not sharing and um, so the guys had to make a decision because they had two offers on the table and one of the dragons was saying nope not gonna share I want it all for myself and I know how much I can bring and so he he said nope not sharing and so the guys had a decision to make um, and they went to the back of the wall to discuss now this is where things were great and I loved this I love the fact that um, the editing of this clip was great because we got to listen to the conversation that the guys were having and obviously they came into the den asking for one point uh, asking to give away 1.5% of their equity and and now they were looking at giving either five or six percent away and clearly they had done their homework because one of the entrepreneurs had said, you know, we had agreed that we would be looking to give away 4%. So this is where I know they've done their homework. They've come in at 1.5%. They know where they're willing to go to, which is the 4%. But now they've suddenly got two offers on the table with two great dragons. And then the discussion was around, okay, so would we want to take two dragons? Even though Peter had said he wouldn't share. You know, they were still going down that route. And I was like, this is great business thinking. This is potentially going to be good negotiation skills as well. And it was definitely great negotiation skills because then when they talked about it, they talked about are either of them happy with giving away 5% if it was joint by the two of them? Obviously, we would they would need to get the dragons to agree to work with each other. But we're looking at potentially coming down from Deborah's 6% to 5% split across two dragons. So I was like, this is a really good plan. And when they counted... Oh no! Sorry, I could... that was that was Siri. Um... <laughs> Siri just bought you some uh, some natural deodorant. Yeah, I think Siri Siri tried to buy a TV earlier in the uh, in the in the, in the series, and now like Siri yeah. trying to buy natural deodorant. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're now gonna, subscribed gonna, to Fussy. I'm gonna have to take my Apple Watch off next time because Siri likes to get a word in. Um, but yeah, this is where great negotiation tactics came in because when they counter to the dragons, they counted at the low part of 
where they were originally planning to to go to, which was the 4% and asking whether they would consider sharing. And Peter immediately had said, (laughs) although he was trying to say that he wasn't going to be working with Deborah or anybody else for that matter, and he wanted it all for himself, he full well knew that it was a great business idea and that he would want to invest. And working with Deborah, I mean, he's worked with Deborah on loads of other investments, you know, so working with Deborah was a pleasure for him. So he 100% would share. And Deborah said, yeah, she would share too. Okay, they didn't want to give away more than 4%. And Peter was trying to argue the fact of actually to have two dragons on board, the 6% that Deborah was asking for was a pretty good deal. You know, they both got a lot that they can bring to the table. So this is where it was good because he talks about they weren't willing to give away anything more than four. And so when they decided to compromise at 5%, which is obviously what um, Peter was originally looking for, if he was going to be the sole investor, I thought this was just great negotiation because they got two dragons. They gave away 5%, which was a little bit more than they wanted to give away, but not masses more and not at the highest percentage point that the dragon originally wanted. And so I just thought, this is great. I felt like they were really, really great business people. I thought they had really done their homework. They really knew what they were doing. They had the right credentials in terms of the sustainability aspect. They had the right credentials in terms of, you know, business acumen and what they were doing and being prepared for the pitch in the den. And they stood their ground. And they were very, very calm and composed. I don't feel like at any stage they felt tripped up or challenged or anything. I thought they were just executing their pitch really, really well. And they 100% completely deserved the investment that they got. And and I thought they just did brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it it was funny with Peter saying, like, I definitely won't share. And then the moment they came back, he was like, I was being a bit greedy. Actually, I will share. Because I think he knew deep down it was either share or lose it. Um, Because they were definitely going to pick Deborah over him. And I think they negotiated very well. They pitched well enough to get two dragons interested. They really knew their sustainability stuff. And now, as we've said, it's about whether they can grow it into a large company. At the moment, they have one product that isn't too different from their competitors. But I think with dragons on board, they probably will expand faster than just making like a wash bag. I think they will look into those other areas of replacing single-use plastic and yeah i think it's a good sign for the for the planet because we do all need to kind of move to solutions like this and stop using kind of these single-use plastics and single-use items so yeah it it was i think it was a good investment and as you laid out in the negotiation i think they arrived at a place where everyone could be quite happy with the percentage bit more than the entrepreneurs wanted to give away but they did get two dragons on board a bit less than you know deborah wanted but she was happy and you know peter okay he's sharing it but it's the percentage he actually suggested in the start so all around i think everybody got what they what they wanted or what they could definitely be happy with and that's the end of this episode of what's the pitch uh we hope you enjoyed listening to us please follow us on any podcast platform that you're listening to and we'll be with you again next week